Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know when the time is right to make way for someone else. And so today I am announcing my intention to step down as First Minister and leader of my party. Well, something most of us did not expect to happen has happened. Nicola Sturgeon is resigning as Scottish First Minister and as leader of the SNP. She says it's the best step for herself, for her party and for Scotland. In my head and in my heart, I know that it is right for me, for my party and for the country. Ms Sturgeon, who has led for eight years, acknowledged the physical and mental impact of the role. What does this mean for Scotland, for the SNP and for its independent strife? And could it have an impact here in Northern Ireland? I'm joined by politics lecturer and commentator David McCann to get his take on it. David, you're very welcome to the Bell Tell once again. Are you surprised? Uh, Yes, I was surprised. Um, It was something that obviously it was likely to come in the next um, year or two. Um, but uh, she took everyone by surprise and she, when she talked about it herself it seems like she did, she only made up her mind the day before she announced it. She was at a funeral of a long-time SNP activist and she said it was at that funeral that it really crystallised for her that she became 100% certain that she was going to resign. So uh, it seemed to take everyone by surprise and including many within her own party. You know, in researching this podcast today I have come across an an awful lot of anti-Nicola Sturgeon feeling. Certainly GB News seems to be celebrating this uh, event, for example. But she was always a massive vote winner, David. That's what makes it even more surprising, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's worth noting that as SNP leader, she never actually lost an election. The SNP were always the largest party in the electoral battles that she fought. Uh, currently, I, look, I looked at the polls um, and uh, the last poll that I could see, the SNP on the constituency vote in Scotland were on 44%. Uh, Labour were second on 26 Now, this is a government that's 15 years old. I mean, what governments would give for uh, for 40%, for 44% of the vote um, in that context? So, yeah, she was, but she was also a very polarising figure. I mean, uh, there was a poll out I saw this morning 
uh, that showed that 53% of people polled thought that Nicola Sturgeon had been a positive influence in Scotland, and around 38-39% thought she had been a negative, and the rest were kind of don't knows. And that just shows that she was becoming, she, she, she always was, sorry, but she was increasingly becoming a polarised figure, polarising figure. And that happens with every party leader, no matter how long they're in office, the longer you are there, the more polarising you become, the more fixed perspectives become become in you. And that was true of Margaret Thatcher to Angela Merkel to Jacinda Ardern. The, the, the longer you're in office, the, the more fixed positions that people have on you. You know, we need to be, I suppose I need to be very careful to give a balanced and clinical analysis, if possible at all, when you're talking about politics. But we've talked about how popular Nicola Sturgeon was in the polls. And even when she fell somewhat in the polls, other politicians would still kill for those figures. Uh, She was, I think, almost universally recognised, even by people who hated her as someone who was a very capable politician, albeit one who believed in her own cause. She definitely seemed to be the only, I suppose, rock star politician that I can think of at this moment in time. Yeah, well, certainly in the UK context, she certainly is. Um, uh, She was someone who very much the people on the left very much uh, liked and respected. She had uh, a good pandemic in the sense of uh, she was seen as strong. She was seen as a leadership figure. Uh, she was seen as someone who people responded to. So the pandemic gave her a bit of a second wind in terms of her approval ratings, um, uh, and she did seem to have a bit of a, a bit of a connection. You know, she she did seem to be kind of um, able to connect with average people, and uh, and again, that's something that that, that many other politicians, uh, so certainly certainly at Westminster level at the moment, are lacking. Well, she was born in in Irvine in Ayrshire in 1970, describing herself as a working class girl. She's a solicitor by trade. Uh, she worked as a solicitor in Glasgow. She's been a key member, I suppose, of the SNP since her teens. Uh, she says it was Margaret Thatcher who inspired her to get into politics, not in a positive sense. And she's always said that her argument for independence was about political and economic uh, issues and not identity. But as you say, she has always, you know, because she has been so strong on that issue of Scottish independence throughout her life, uh, she has been a polarising figure, not surprisingly. Now, we have come to this point, however, where she has felt um, that it would be best for her, for the SNP and for Scotland to resign. Can we, Can do you have any idea, can you give us a clue, do you have any analysis as to why she would have made that decision? Um. For a few reasons. One, she had nowhere to take the independence project. After the Supreme Court ruled that Scotland could not legally hold its own referendum, she was stuck. Um, She was stuck because she then decided to make a play to make the next general election basically a referendum on independence. And the problem for that is that whilst the SNP are polling in the low 40s, that's not enough. <laughs> if the SNP come in with less than fifty percent of the vote, which they're which they're more than likely to do at the next general election, she she, she was snookered. Um, the independence project is uh, has got um, uh, has got nowhere to go. Um, the other problem that that they have is that the current polling across the UK shows that Labour are set to win a very steady. Um, more than a steady, a landslide majority. So the problem is, is that something that unites the Tories and Labour is that none of them are interested, neither of them are interested in holding a second referendum. And she she had nowhere to go. 
And the problem was her activist base, the SNP activist base, were becoming very restless. They were restless with this strategy, and she was getting caught on two sides. So Stephen Noon, who was the chief strategist of the Yes Scotland campaign, uh, wrote last year that the SNP were kind of playing this wrong. The SNP needed to slow down. That you know, the both campaigns were kind of talking at each other, not talking to each other. But on the other side of that, you have Alex Salmond's Alba party, which is referendum now, we need to plow on, plow ahead. So she was wedged in between those two things and she didn't really know how to get out of that. So that was the, so that was point one. And point two was just accumulating issues that were just um, uh, that were just uh, 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 rising up. So healthcare is in a lot of difficulties in Scotland. There are problems in education. There's the transgender bill issue, which was divisive within the SNP. Even the deposit return scheme, which is an environmental policy, that was being criticized within the SNP. So just her length of time in government now, she's been in eight years now, it was just accumulating and building up and up and up. And I think the mix of those issues together, she's obviously just come to the point of view, look, at this juncture, it is better if someone takes this project forward. And yet and yet the party and herself remain high in the polls, which is which is interesting. You mentioned health, education and and, and even the, 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 the bottle scheme of, of memory serves. Um there's also the trans issue you've mentioned, yeah. and uh, we've been accused, and I say we, I mean the media in general, of of blowing up that issue. It obviously, affects um, a very small number of people ultimately, but it is it is a big issue because it's such an emotive issue. And for again, I'm mentioning our 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 colleagues, our journalistic colleagues in in GB News, and you know, and across the board, commentators seem to be celebrating that she'd been brought down by what is described as gender ideology. Do you think that's overstated? I think it is a bit overstated. It was divisive within her own party. Her own finance secretary, Kate Forbes, abstained on the bill uh, when it went uh, before the Scottish Parliament. It was divisive within the SNP. Um, uh, interestingly, there have been polls done about what Scottish Scottish priorities and about basically Scottish voters' priorities and where they, where they rated Nicola Sturgeon's priorities. And for many voters, they did think that this was a priority for Nicola Sturgeon. And for many Scottish voters, this was not a priority. Now, yeah, again, go back to that. That could be the media. I mean, lots of Nicola Sturgeon supporters point out, actually, the First Minister did not talk about this a lot. The First Minister never said that this was an absolute priority for her government. This was just something that needed to be done and that the government was focusing on other things. Um, but it was the visit within the SFA. I don't think this was the sole reason why. I think it was just part of it in some respects. Um, but again, those other issues, it's that combined with everything else. There's never there's never one reason why a leader fall, why a leader uh, resigns or why a leader decides to go. Now, I, I think she was a long way from a potential leadership challenge. Uh, I think she was a long way from ever losing an election. But she's obviously made the judgment herself that, look, these issues will only continue to accumulate the longer I stay in office and that midway through this term, it's probably a good chance for the government to kind of just get a refresh and, and new leadership. There are hundreds of thousands of pounds seemingly missing from SNP funds. There's an, um, an investigation into fraud underway in, in the SNP. Uh, Nicholas Sturgeon is married to the SNP's chief executive, Peter Morell. Uh, which does seem an extraordinary amount of power to be in one uh, household. Do you think that that investigation is part of her decision? I know that this has been uh, increasingly reported in Scotland over the previous weeks and invariably, because she is the party leader, she was going to get uh, brought into this. Um, uh, so maybe she did make the decision that this would that this will at some point uh, even even if she believes that nothing wrong happened and maybe and, and, and we, we, we just don't know the full ins and outs of the story yet. 
um, that this would end up becoming a distraction for the government. It would be something that she would have to ultimately talk about, answer questions for for, for the reasons you've just mentioned. And uh, and that may have played part of her thinking. I, I know she said um, that these issues haven't really uh, played on her, on her mind, but uh, in her decision. But I think invariably, for, for want of a better term, you get dragged into them. And politicians have made decisions like that before. I mean, Bertie Hearn resigned because he thought the Mahan Tribunal was becoming just a distraction and he made that decision to go as Taoiseach uh, as a result of that. So, so so that probably did did weigh on her mind. What's the reaction been? I mean, I see Nigel Farage. Uh, we all know who Nigel Farage is. Neil Oliver also known as the Coast Guy, who's a, a Scottish commentator, I suppose, but we've all, all seen him on that show, The Coast. He's the long-haired guy, for those who don't know. And they all seem to be celebrating. It almost, mm. it almost, it, it, it seems to be more than the fall of, of one politician or, or one politician choosing to leave the scene. They almost think that it's the entire SNP, Scottish Independence Project, uh, fall, uh, fallen. It, 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 What's the reaction been generally? Well, it's been polarised, <laughs> and it's not surprising. It's a, she's a polarising figure. Um, SNP supporters are going to be pretty dejected uh, about her going. Um, uh, SNP supporters, uh, she's always remained very highly popular, even those who disagreed with her, because she's been such a lifer in that project. You went through her career there. Don't forget, Nicola Sturgeon was the deputy leader of the SNP um, from 2004 to 2014, and has been the leader since 2014 until uh, until until um, uh, very recently. So she's been a really standout figure within that party for so long. Um, uh, first Minister, Deputy First Minister, she's played a leading role in the, in the independence campaign. Uh, so they're going to be pretty dejected. The other, uh, it's interesting to note the, the Westminster reaction from the Scottish reaction. The Scottish politicians and the opposition benches have actually been pretty praising of Nicola Sturgeon. They've actually been pretty uh, remarking on her legacy and remarking on that she was a tough opponent. She was someone who who did command a big personal following in Scotland. So obviously in Westminster, uh, I, I I think it's I think it's a bit too early to be saying this is the death of independence. I mean, don't forget, same people said that this movement would uh, would have collapsed after 2014, and yet it's it's still there in 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 a strong guise. It it is hard to believe, I suppose, that that a movement that an idea can really hang on one person. Although in the case of Nicola Sturgeon, I, I you know I can sympathise with those who, for whom, her leaving as SNP leader almost puts the issue to bed. She's so connected to that cause and party personally. Well, yeah, I mean it's inter- It'll be interesting to see who replaces her and what wing of the party they come from. Are they from the more gradualist wing of the SNP? Or are they um, are they more kind of um, strident? You know, the SNP is going through a period of change. Don't forget, the Westminster leader was ousted in a in a in a coup. Ang- um, uh, not Angus Robertson, um, Blackford. Um, uh, he was replaced by Stephen Flynn. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see who the conference selects as as the party leader. Is it someone like Angus Robertson, who is close to Nicola Sturgeon? Is it maybe John Swinney, who was Nicola Sturgeon's deputy and was previously the SNP leader? It wouldn't be the first time that's ever happened in the SNP that a leader has returned. Or is it someone like Kate Forbes, who is strong on the nationalist side, but she's a big social conservative within the party. She is not someone who's on the liberal wing of the party. She's socially conservative. Um, uh, is it El Because the SNP is a big, broad tent. The SNP is a broad church. Many people are in that party because they believe it's a vehicle for independence. So, 
That'll be something to watch out. And, and the broad church needs 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 glue to hold it together. Is it a big ask? I think it's a big ask for any kind of nationalist party. And, and the key thing is, can they keep the the lure of a referendum on the horizon as the glue that keeps it together? I was thinking about this in preparation for coming on here. You know, you think about parties like the Parti Québécois, the previous iteration of Sinn Féin. When the goal of independence is either achieved or just put off the table, those broad tents fall apart. Uh, that happened with Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin fell apart where, uh, within just a few years after 1922. The Parti Québécois fell apart because the liberal wing of the Parti Québécois fought with the conservative wing of the Parti Québécois because the, the glue of sovereignty and, and independence wasn't there anymore. And I just wonder... The SNP do run the risk of that um, because that is a broad tent coalition. If if the lure of a referendum is there, they will stay in the same tent. But if that is taken off the agenda, then that's going to be a tough coalition for any leader to keep together. Well, there'll be a lot to to watch in the SNP in the future. Who who do you think which will be the next leader? I know it's very early to ask you to give a punt, but come on. I think Angus Robertson probably is the guy. He was the former Westminster leader. He's uh, currently in the Scottish cabinet. Um, I think he's probably best placed um, uh, to do it. He would command enough support from the different wings of the party, I think. John Swinney, I'm not sure, will, would want to come back. He had a pretty rough go as SNP leader when he when he took the job before. Um, uh, so I think um, Kate Forbes is, is someone, I think, her views on some social issues, I think, will just rule her out for too many. Um, uh, also, she she is um, uh, she's on maternity leave at the minute as well, so she would have to come back from that in order to run a campaign. So I think Angus Robertson is probably the person who, who would probably be most likely to be the next SNP leader and first minister. And you know, David, ultimately, and you must you must know what question is coming, it's all about us. That's, that's, that's what it is. So we see across the board this almost mourning in nationalist Ireland from, you know, from a very deep respect from uh, uh, someone like... Um, Leo Varadkar too. Clearly, some people in Sinn Féin, you know, feeling that they clearly yeah. lost a, a a great comrade. Although Nicola Sturgeon was always very careful not to embroil herself in Irish politics. And again, you see unionists, uh, and especially unionists from a very socially conservative um, background, celebrating yeah. because they believe that she's been that this enemy of the union has been brought down, and she may have been brought down by, to at least to an extent or as they would see it, by um, uh, issues regarding gender recognition, etc. Do you think it's important here? No. Oh. Uh, I don't think I don't think that, that, that her departure marks any big change here. I mean, the, the only difference that, uh, that you could see is that Nicola Sturgeon may take on a slightly nationalist version of Arlene Foster type role and may campaign and barnstorm for the breakup of the UK. So maybe some of the pro-unification groups may have someone who can come and speak at a rally for them or come and speak at an event for them uh, and do that. Because Nicola Sturgeon, naturally, she'll remain as an MSP, but she'll have more free time on her hands. So that would be the only impact I could see here. So obviously, look, it's it's the same polarisation. Unionists very much like her, nationalists absolutely love her. So it'll be interesting to see whether that overture is made. I'm sure it will be made to try and get her over here to speak at some rallies of some of the pro-unification groups. Uh, final question, David. Uh, in my mind, you know, uh, Nicola Sturgeon is a young woman. She's 52, if I'm if I'm yes. correct. What's the What do you think the future will hold for her? I mean, she's many years of productive work and energy left and you know she may not feel she has the energy now but she's always been marked out by that drive and energy and it's hard to think she's going to retire to her garden 
No. Um, well, she still will be an MSP, which which she will do. I'd imagine she'll write a book at some point. That's typically what former politicians do. They typically go off and work with universities. I think Nicola Sturgeon will go and talk and, and write a lot about or maybe do some research into women in politics, into the independence project as well. So, look, I, I don't think she'll she'll be shy of offers um, uh, to go off and do. So so I would imagine that's where she will end up going and, and spending the rest of her time in her, in her career. David McCann, thank you very much. Thanks. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from Sky and the BBC. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.